Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls. And it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights. 
On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about tormented travelers and nostalgic notes. I'm your host for the evening, Drew Blood, host of the Drew Blood Podcast, standing in for our friend Steve Taylor. And tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Chris Hollywood and Blake Earl Ray are voice talents Nick Garoff and Eric Peabody. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Chris Hollywood and performed by Nick Garoff. In it, we'll meet Andrew Rivers, who loves to travel for work. But one Thanksgiving weekend away from home, he finds himself stalked on the highways by small creatures with silver eyes. He can't seem to shake them, and each night they get closer and more brazen. What do they want? And how long will he survive on the road with them on his tail? Without further ado, I present to you, find you, follow you, take you. Andrew Rivers traveled for business. Sometimes he took his own car, other times a rental. Rentals were a mixed bag for him because he never knew ahead of time if he would get a decent car. This meant one he could sleep in. His SUV had enough room in the back to lay down comfortably when the seats were folded. It wasn't a bed and mattress, but it was surely cheaper than a room for the night, and he was anything if not frugal. With his business growing, Andrew was beginning to drive farther and farther to recruit more clients. Soon, he might have to start outsourcing, but he was a hands-on kind of guy and didn't know if he could trust anyone to do this side of the job. Plus, he liked to travel. His current venture was promising to be very lucrative, and although he was going to miss Thanksgiving, he felt it was worth it. Hours from home, he stood outside his car at a rest stop with a camera in his hands taking pictures. He'd never been this close to the Rocky Mountains before, and they were breathtaking, just like in postcards. Dusk was descending upon the world, giving the mountains a red glow. It might have been eerie, if it wasn't so beautiful. Further up the road, he pulled into his booked motel. He alternated the nights when he would slept in his car. He needed to look his best when meeting clientele and could only do so much without a shave and shower at least every other day. After getting company, he booted his laptop to check on the pictures he'd taken. They weren't all keepers, but most turned out okay. One puzzled him, though. He didn't remember taking it. It wasn't of the mountains at all. The photo was of the tree line below the parking lot he'd pulled into. There wasn't much light with the setting sun, and the image was fuzzy, but two clear silver dots stood out. They might have been the eyes of some animal, or just specks of dust in the air, but for some reason, he found them unsettling. 
like they were something he was never supposed to see. Unable to get the image out of his mind, Andrew had difficulty falling asleep. The silver eyes followed him into his dreams, stalking him, showing up around every corner, in everyone's face. He woke in the morning, not the least bit refreshed, to find the words, Find You, painted on his windshield in deep red, almost brown letters. Some kids playing a prank on him, noticing the out-of-state license plate, he figured. Upon closer study, the paint smelled wretched, and brought to mind horrific images of its true origin. Worse, it refused to come off. Andrew scrubbed and scraped, but it seemed baked on as if it had been sitting in the sun all day. He ended up buying some glue dissolvent, and even that left some behind. The letters didn't take up much space, but they would be a distraction he didn't need while driving on unfamiliar roads. Still, he'd wasted enough time on it, as it was, and couldn't afford to linger any longer. Andrew continued on his journey, continued doing his job, and stopped to take pictures of the scenery. This time he was careful of what he captured, checking each snapshot after taking it, making sure nothing was watching him. When the time came for him to hunker down for the night, it took him a while to find a decent place. Each town was different, and he wasn't always able to find an abandoned building to park by, or some place off the beaten path where he wouldn't be disturbed. Finally, he found a quarry that didn't appear to be operational anymore. It was quiet. Perfect. Andrew had a few snacks to eat before climbing into the back to spread out some blankets. Due to the previous night's restless slumber, he fell asleep quickly. He was woken in the middle of the night by a noise he couldn't identify. It sounded like a large animal. A cow, maybe. He wasn't a livestock expert. Then he heard another sound, one he did recognize. Children's laughter. While ordinarily a joyous sound in the dead of night and the middle of nowhere, it was like something out of a horror movie. Accompanying them was the pitter-patter of feet running around his car. He wanted to get up and look outside, but truthfully, he was frightened. If it really was children, he had nothing to worry about, and he tried to convince himself such was the case. But the laughter was tainted by a wheezing sickness, a throaty rasp that was deeply disturbing and couldn't have belonged to a child. He didn't know how long he laid in his car listening to them. He hoped if he was quiet, they wouldn't know he was there and eventually go away. But things only got worse. The children became more brazen, knocking on his car, tapping on the glass. Occasionally the car would lurch as if someone had shoved it. Andrew eventually lifted his head to peek out the window, wanting to see what was going on, but saw only vague shadows dancing in the scattered moonlight. Suddenly the roof groaned under the weight of someone or something climbing onto it. A deep, guttural bellow rented the air before what sounded like a waterfall splashed all over the car. 
Horrible images of a beast vomiting on his car sprang unwanted to his mind. As the roof began to buckle, Andrew knew he could hold his tongue no longer. He shouted for them to get off his car, for them to go away and leave him alone. And it all stopped. It was now dead quiet. He risked taking another look outside and saw the silver eyes. The same eyes in the photo. The same eyes from his dreams. Then a child spoke. Please let us in. It started as the voice of a little girl, but ended twisted and raspy. Soon more silver eyes joined the first, as did more bitter, raspy child voices. Play with us. We won't bite. Be our friend. Come outside. Soon he was surrounded and hailed nonstop. Andrew grabbed his phone to call for help, only to find no signal. He knew it was likely to happen among the mountains, and of course, it would fail him when he needed it the most. Covering his ears and closing his eyes, he wished it would all go away. This couldn't be happening. Maybe he was just dreaming. Then he woke up. His blankets and clothing were in a knotted mess, and he was sweating profusely even though it was cold outside, but he had made it through the night. It was just a nightmare. But would a nightmare leave child-sized handprints all over the windows and a roof dented under the weight of some unknown animal, which now appeared to be sleeping on his hood, blocking his windshield? Scanning the immediate area outside the vehicle, he ensured he was alone, other than the beast on his car, before opening the rear hatch and climbing out. The sun couldn't be seen over the trees, but dawn had arrived no more than an hour ago, he was sure. How long had the ordeal gone on last night? Had he fallen asleep from exhaustion? Making his way warily to the front of the car, Andrew found not an animal like he was expecting, but more paint splashed all over the windshield, and written in the paint, in small, scraggly letters, were the words, Find you, follow you. Andrew was beside himself, horrified. It couldn't be the same kids who were messing with him. It was impossible. That motel was at least 200 miles back. But how could the messages be the same? Were these people following him? Was it a cult of some kind? And were they children, or was it some twisted game? Was this going to continue to haunt him during his travels? Would it follow him home? He decided to find a police station and report the incident. Like the last time, the paint refused to be removed. Even the glue dissolver barely put a dent in it. With the windshield obstructed, there was no way Andrew could drive the car. So he stayed there, spending hours scrubbing it off, using up all the glue dissolvent, and eventually getting enough of it off to be able to drive into the nearest town to find a car wash. But its superior clean didn't live up to its name. 
Andrew had to settle with the half-finished job. He'd already spent too much time on it and was way behind on schedule. At least a room had been booked for that night. When he had time, he'd have to alter some of his plans. There was no way he was sleeping in his car again on this trip. Unfortunately, luck was not on his side. Having gotten a late start on this leg of his journey and having to drive slower and more carefully due to his partially obstructed view, Andrew showed up to his motel late, and due to the high demand of Thanksgiving weekend, his room had been given away. While furious, he understood and accepted the reasons for this and set out to find other accommodations. He found none. He tried the next town and the next. As night fell, Andrew became worried, then desperate, then scared. Whatever was stalking him would find him again, he was sure. He did not want to spend another night in his car, yet options were wearing thin. Weary from the lack of sleep from the night before, his eyes grew heavy, and after nearly driving off the road one too many times, he knew he couldn't go on. He found a brightly lit strip mall parking lot in a small town to stay in for the night. It wasn't an ideal location for a proper rest, but desperate times called for desperate measures. Surely he wouldn't be attacked in the open for all to see. Feeling safe, he settled in and began to doze off. Then there came a rapping at the window. Andrew sat up to see a police officer standing outside his car, peering inside with a flashlight. Noticing the out-of-state plates on the car, the cop had been watching him. Andrew stepped outside and was told he couldn't stay there. Reminded of his earlier promise to tell the authorities about his ordeal, Andrew explained his situation. Mr. Tell, the night stalkers, the paint on his car, of which there was still evidence. It was quite the story, and the officer was skeptical suspecting Andrew of being either drunk or stoned. However, he granted Andrew what he felt was a small mercy by not bringing him into custody. He told Andrew that if he felt strongly about the incident in the morning, he could come to the police station and file a report, but he had to leave until then. Unless, that is, he wanted to go to the station right now, in handcuffs. So Andrew got back into his car and drove around to find another spot to sleep. Not wanting any trouble from the police, he settled for parking outside of town, just past the reach of the streetlights, behind what appeared to be an abandoned gas station. He'd never been more scared in his life, and he knew he wasn't going to get any sleep that night. But since fear and stress can be exhausting, and since he'd slept little after his encounter the previous night, he... He was out quickly. He was woken quickly, as well as by another rapping on the window. Assuming it was the officer again, Andrew sat up and looked out the window, but there was no flashlight this time. No policeman. Just a dozen or so pairs of silver eyes glinting despite the darkness. As he'd expected and feared, the creatures had returned. They hailed him again pounding on his car, demanding to be let in or for him to come out. Their creepy, lilting voices trailed off in hacking, acidic warbles that felt like daggers in his ears. They said he couldn't hide from them forever. They said they'd find a way inside. 
They said they would take him. What do you want from me? Andrew shouted at them. The voices went quiet. And just the labored breathing of what sounded like much larger beasts could be heard. Finally, they began again. Only this time their voices were excruciatingly deep, thumping into his ears like too much bass. We want to play with you. We want to be inside you. We want you inside us. We want to taste you. We want to be you. All these answers came simultaneously, booming in his head as if they were originating there. He heard them all individually, somehow, but wished he hadn't. He wished he hadn't asked the question. He wished he'd gone straight to the police station, in shackles or not. He wished he'd never gone on this damn trip. The pounding on his car began again, with more fervor than before. Violent blows assaulted the side windows, and as they began to crack, Andrew knew he had to get out of there. He crawled over the seats to get behind the wheel and started the car. When the headlights came on, he saw something that chilled him to the bone. Shapes. Silhouettes. The light from his car did not touch these creatures, but he could see them through the illumination of the spaces between them, as if he were looking at a negative. They were the same size as children, only with pointed heads and long arms that reached the ground like a gorilla. And those haunting, silver eyes, they seemed to pierce right through him, turning his blood jelly, his legs to stone, his mind to mush. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Then there was the big one, the largest shape among them. It was the size of an elephant, maybe larger, twelve or fifteen feet tall. Like a woolly mammoth, it appeared to be hairy too, unlike its smaller brethren. Its breath sent billows of smoke into the chill air. Somehow finding the strength, both in mind and body, to put the car in drive, Andrew floored it. Chaos erupted. Most of the little creatures dived out of the way. Some of them landed on his car and began pounding on the windshield, obscuring his view. He turned on the wipers, but they did nothing. The bastards ripped them off and started beating his hood with them. He pressed on, not wanting to stop, to allow them to get inside. Then, abruptly, violently, the car halted. 
He'd hit something. Maybe a building. Something that wasn't moving. Throwing the car into reverse, he backed away, feeling the car sway and lurch as he climbed over lumps that weren't there seconds before. The way they crunched and squealed, he assumed he was running over the vile creatures and this brought him no small amount of satisfaction. When he could put the car back in drive and hit the gas, the car barely moved. It slid around slightly but seemed to have no traction. Reverse gear didn't improve the situation. He craned the wheel, trying to pry himself loose from whatever was holding the car, picturing piles of the black shadows under his wheels. He briefly wondered what color their blood was. Suddenly the car jerked, but not in the direction he wanted. The nose lifted and fell, and he fell back into his seat. Then he noticed the creatures were no longer on his hood, and his view was clear again, but he wished it wasn't. He was staring into the silver eyes of the giant beast. It must have lifted the car off the ground. Up close, the headlights still refused to offer any illumination. It was like peering into a void. The monster growled at him. As a last-ditch effort, Andrew remembered the dial on the dashboard. He switched it, turned on the vehicle's four-wheel drive, and punched the gas. The car jerked backwards, jumping out of the beast's grip, and tore away. He felt the bumps and jolts as he ran over more of the silver-eyed children. Then the ground fell out from under him, and that was the last thing he remembered. Andrew awoke, sore and groggy, staring at the morning sky. He was still behind the wheel of his car, which, no doubt, was also sore and groggy. Surveying his surroundings, he discovered he'd driven down an embankment, some thirty or so feet below the parking lot behind the gas station, and was resting against some trees and bushes. Most importantly, none of the creatures were around. He'd survived the night. Not that they'd simply vanished. More words had been painted on the windshield. Dreading the new, terrifying message that awaited him, Andrew climbed out of the vehicle and inspected the damage first. The rear end was a wreck, and possibly beyond repair. Glass all over the car was either cracked or shattered completely. Scratches and dents marred the steel everywhere he looked, and red-slash-brown paint was splashed all over the undercarriage. It dawned on him then that it wasn't paint, but blood. The creatures had been leaving him messages written in their own blood. He shuddered at the thought. Ignoring the lack of bodies that should have been littering the ground all around him, he marched to the front to read his new bloody message. Find you, follow you, take you. Andrew swallowed hard, certain that his next encounter with the Shadow Children would be his last. Where they would take him, and for what purpose, he couldn't say. Nor did he want to find out. But why hadn't they taken him yet? Why were they tormenting him? Not that he was going to complain, he was still alive after all. But how much longer did he have? He 
pondered whether or not to abandon his car. Perhaps it was marked, and they followed their blood trail. Andrew decided instead to get help. He would take up the officer's suggestion from last night and report the incident. He might even rub it in the man's face. See what happened because of you? I could be dead right now. The incline up the embankment was steep, and he knew his car wouldn't have made it up the hill even if it would start. He had difficulty climbing it himself, stiff and bruised as he was. The walk back to town felt longer than it should have. He tried to devise a way to explain the situation that wouldn't make him sound crazy, but nothing sounded plausible. And of course, when he found the police station and recounted the events over the past few nights, he was met with raised eyebrows and skepticism. They went out to the scene of the crime and surveyed the damage, assuming alcohol was involved, but because they had no proof, they couldn't press charges. They also couldn't explain the stuff that looked like paint all over his car, nor did they seem inclined to. They called a wrecker and had the vehicle hauled out and taken to the nearest garage at his expense. The damage was indeed considerable and would take a week or longer to repair. Andrew wondered again if he shouldn't just write it off. He found an overpriced hotel with a vacancy the next town over and was more than happy to spend the night there sleeping on the decision. From there, he was also finally able to phone his wife and tell her what had happened. Rational as she was, she maintained that there had to be a logical explanation for it all. She told him to call back when he had the repair cost estimate, but he would never get one. A comfy bed and secure locks and windows did little to erase the memories of the last few nights, and Andrew slept fitfully. He jolted awake every other hour, thinking he'd heard a scratching sound or hushed voices, but he remained alone. In the early morning, he was awakened by a phone call from the garage telling him there had been an accident. An hour and a taxi ride later, he arrived to find his precious car crushed, nearly folded in half, and leaning against a tree. It looked like a piece of paper when it crumpled and thrown away. No one had any idea how it could have possibly happened. The shop owner had arrived that morning and discovered the wreckage. But Andrew knew who had done it, though he kept it to himself. He wondered if they'd destroyed the car because they couldn't find him. Or did that mean it was over? He wasn't marked. Otherwise, they'd have come from at the hotel. Was he free from their haunting voices and stalking silver eyes? Or were there more words written in blood on his windshield, waiting to be unearthed for him to read? He certainly wasn't going to be keeping his car now, no matter the case. The next day, Andrew hopped aboard a bus and headed back to his wife, eager to put everything behind him. He decided to work from home from now on. I hope you enjoyed Find You, Follow You, Take You, as written by Chris Hollywood and voiced by Nick Groff. To find more of author Chris Hollywood, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Hollywood, spelled H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Garoff's talents can be found on our very own Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary Podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you drop by, don't forget to let them know you heard them on this show. Up next, we got a second sinister story for you, as written by Blake Earl Ray and performed by Eric Peabody. In it, we'll meet a man named Edward Midge, a frustrated adjunct professor and record collector that finds a mysterious record that allows him to live the life of his dreams, or so he thinks. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Dead Wax. Dead Wax by Blake Earl Ray A bead of sweat was tracing its way down Edward Midge's cheek behind a lank tendril of his long, greasy hair. Before he could wipe it away, it made its way down to his chin and dropped squarely on the cardboard cover of the vinyl record in his hands. God damn, it's hot in here, Edward said to himself as he wiped up the drop with the heel of his hand. He looked up from the long wooden crate, hand-labeled Punk and New Wave, at the cashier standing behind the high counter. The cashier was frowning deeply at Edward. The store was small and dim. The lights were the kind of flickering fluorescent bulbs that obviously hadn't been changed in a long time. They buzzed at a frequency that was just barely audible. A large box fan propped open the front door, but it didn't seem to be helping much. The room was hot, and Edward moved his black-clad bulk around awkwardly between aisles, acutely aware that he was the only one in the store and that, even if he weren't, he would still stand out. The cashier gave Edward a perfunctory half-smile, then looked back down at his phone. He couldn't have been more than 25, easily Edward's junior by 10 years. Edward knew the type. Back when he had been picked up to play rhythm guitar by a thrash metal outfit out of Florida called Corpus Christi, skinny little guys like the cashier had been all the rage. They would get on stage in vintage cowboy shirts and their sister's jeans and play what amounted to Trog's covers for a half hour and then sit at the bar, letting girls buy them drinks and ignoring the other bands. Edward had hated them. He still did, even though the label that had coaxed him out of his PhD program had folded six years before. Corpus Christi rebranded and kicked him out a couple of weeks later. Since then, Edward had applied to four different PhD programs. In the meantime, he had gotten himself a gig teaching Introduction to Writing at a community college. The cashier would ride his good looks and slim frame for as long as he could. Like you wouldn't, fat boy, Edward thought bitterly. 
Edward made his way toward the door. There wasn't anything in here he didn't already have and needed. As he was rounding the corner, though, something caught his eye. There was a black corner of a record sleeve sticking out between two of the crates. With idle curiosity, he picked it up. The sleeve was a faded matte black, like a shirt that had been through the wash too many times. Slashed across the black were off-white lines that made up a vaguely sinister geometric design. It wasn't quite a pentagram, but it was close. Printed in a crabbed script across the bottom were the words, De Vermis Mysterious. It would be easy to write the record off as some shock rock black metal copy, but there was something about how Edward felt holding it that wouldn't allow him to do that. He felt powerful. He felt connected with the world like everything was finally in the same tempo, a quick staccato syncopation. Edward looked up at the counter. The cashier was gone. The birds and insects, and even the sounds of traffic outside, were all gone. The fluorescence still buzzed, and the fan hummed, but underneath it all there was a pregnant silence. There was a spectral, anticipatory quality in the air of the shop. It was a rural church on a Saturday afternoon. It was waiting, waiting to be filled with noise, music, people, and ritual. It was hungry for it. Edward shook his head, his long, dark hair swishing gently. He set the record down. The sun filtering through the dust-caked, flyer-choked windows of the vinyl shop started to have the look of a golden late afternoon. Twenty-five or six to four, he thought. It was an old song, but the melody of it, the familiarity, comforted him. A cool, damp rag on a feverish forehead. Carefully, Edward set the black record down on the top of a bin marked Soundtracks, in the same lazy but somehow hurried writing as all the others. His eyes lingered on the thing, but he turned with some difficulty. Edward hurried and got out of the cramped, hot store and into the afternoon sun. He was a good thirty yards down the street and very near his beat-up, champagne-colored Toyota when he realized he was holding the record. He turned to return it, but thought better of it. It wasn't like there were any cameras or anything in there, and the skinny dude at the counter had almost surely not noticed. Edward crossed the last twenty or so yards of cracked concrete sidewalk to his car. A fat red wasp crept across the windshield, staring up at Edward with its utterly otherworldly compound eyes, swiveling its head in an unnatural, robotic way. It cleaned its forelegs and then took unsteadily to the air. Edward spent most of his ride home irritably scanning through the radio for anything worthwhile. He was sorely disappointed. Everything seemed so banal and ordinary. Overplayed 90s hits gave way to uninspired pop, 
and it was all interspersed with the absolute nonsense that was drive-time radio banter. By the time he had surrendered and snapped off the radio in disgust and disappointment, Edward realized he was home and pulled into the parking lot in front of his building. It had been a long day, or at least as long as his days ever were. He had taught three freshman composition classes and graded papers in the sad, little communal office space reserved for adjuncts. It was a terrible room with the ceiling tiles bowing and sagging with age. The blinds were broken, and it was always dim in there. Some of his co-workers had taken to calling it the cave. Not to him, though. They rarely spoke to him. The thought of coming home to his cramped apartment had made his jaw clench up, so Edward had hit up the record store in an attempt to find something to listen to as he drank cheap beer on a gray couch that had not even come pre-assembled. Edward guessed he had at last found the record. De Vermis Mysterious was sitting on the cigarette-burned fabric of the passenger seat. Something about the way it laid there reminded Edward of a coiled snake. There was a lot of dangerous potential in it, wasn't there? The alien scratch design on the cover and the weird Latin-sounding name was like a warning. It was called aposematism in nature. It was like a coral snake whose stripes and bright colors let everyone know they were full of deadly venom. As he reached over and grabbed the record, Edward tried to shake the weird feeling of dread that was hanging over him. He was sweating again, even with his hair tied back in a messy ponytail. He sighed and lurched out of the sports sedan. At the top of the third flight of stairs, Edward was breathing heavily. He could smell his body odor. He opened the door and walked directly to the fridge, kicking the front door closed with his heel. In the refrigerator, he rooted around until he found a cold Mexican lager. He crossed to the living room and took in his surroundings. It stank. It had since the day he moved in, despite his landlord's admonition that there was to be no smoking inside. The apartment was small and smelled like cigarettes and old cooking. There was a low scuffed coffee table with a dirty but empty ashtray across from the only couch. Propped against the sofa was his sunburst Takamini G-series. It was in dire need of a restringing and setup. The only thing in the living room that didn't need replacing was his hi-fi system. It was a vintage model, about the size of a low sideboard table. The speakers were incredible, and the needle on the turntable had recently been replaced. Edward ran his hand across it lovingly. The wood was smooth and shiny. Edward put De Vermis Mysterious down and drew the vinyl out of the sleeve. The record itself was pretty average looking. It had a red label with a title printed in gold. Edward cracked the beer, took a slow, grateful sip, and set the record on the turntable. He turned up the volume and set the needle into the first groove. He turned the system on 
and shivered. Nothing happened besides a slight popping static. Edward frowned. The player had been working that morning. He had been listening to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath as he got ready for work. He flopped his 300-pound bulk down on the couch and drained his beer. His eyes shut, and the image of Claire flashed through his mind. She was wearing the mint-green tank top she had been wearing in class on Monday. Her black hair, cropped right below her ears with Betty Page bangs, swirled as she laughed at what some stupid fucking jock kid sitting next to her said. Her heavy tits bounced a little. Edward was getting aroused. At some point, he fell asleep thinking about the girl. Edward opened his eyes. The hi-fi was playing. He crossed the room in an instant and stared at the record. It was De Vermis Mysterious, and it was running backward. The sound was something between 80s synth goth and 90s lo-fi black metal. It was incredible. He was aroused, more aroused than he had been in a long time. God damn, he was rigid. He heard someone talking from the kitchen. Edward turned as if deep underwater. There was pressure, resistance. As he turned, he saw the shimmering, distant mirage image of Claire standing on the precipice of a large cliff where his oven should have been. Take me, she whispered. Her voice sounded overly processed like it had been recorded over and over on an analog device. Take me. Claire was naked now, her breasts heaving and her body slick with sweat. Her stomach and thighs glistened orange and red in the light of a setting sun. She was in the middle of an orgasm, moaning and twisting in exaggerated ecstasy. The look on her face, however, didn't seem to match. Perhaps it was a panic attack. The excessive fear in her eyes made him wonder, but there was no way to tell. Edward was beside her. He touched her skin. It collapsed, rotten, like old fruit. Edward screamed. The sound was feedback, a guitar with heavy distortion pressed against a half-stack amp. Edward's eyes shot open. His hair was plastered to his neck in wet hanks. De Vermis Mysterious was turning on the record player, the needle scratching impotently against the dead wax between the label and the grooves. Edward stopped the turntable. He put the needle gently in the last groove and began running the record backward. The music from his dream came bubbling out of the speakers with an insidious intensity. The screeching guitars and guttural vocals in some unknown language sent a thrill through him. He noticed the hair on his arm was standing on end. 
The feeling pumping through him was turning into pain. He pulled his hand away from the black disc, but it kept spinning. Edward sat down cross-legged on the floor. He stared so hard at the hi-fi, or maybe his eyes were closed, that he didn't notice when he wet himself. The afternoon sun was lying thickly on the carpet when Edward came to. He stumbled up and made his way to the shower. He reeked of urine, and his mouth was sour with bile. He had already missed his classes. Dressed and cleaned up, Edward arrived on campus with just 30 minutes left of his office hours. He sat in the parking lot with the air conditioner blasting, staring across the glittering asphalt at the building that shimmered in the August heat. He had lost almost a whole day. Somewhere inside, he knew the thought should trouble him, but it didn't. It all felt really distant, inconstant and wavering, like the buildings through the heat. The second or third track, it was hard to tell where one ended and the next began, of De Vermis Mysterious played on a loop in his head. There was a guttural chant perched on Edward's lips. It didn't seem to come from the record, but he had not known it before. There were drums behind it, booming and echoing before men had known not to play certain rhythms. Edward knew with certainty that certain melodies, rhythms, time signatures, and words came from somewhere else. The scales were all wrong. There was a pulsing dissonance in between halftones that crept up the spinal cord and lodged themselves in the deep, dark animal brain hidden beneath the centuries of domestication. When Claire exited the English building and began making her way through the parking lot, Edward's eyes focused again. He took a ragged breath. He tracked her between the cars. She was wearing jean shorts that hugged her hips tightly and a light blue spaghetti strap top. Edward wet his lips with his tongue and rolled down his window. Miss Watson? Edward called. Claire's head snapped around at the sound of her name. She walked toward the car, confused. Dr. Mitch? Edward winced. Professor, he corrected. She had crossed to the car and was standing with her textbook, an asinine collection of example essays he had been required to assign, pressed protectively against her chest. Edward looked around. The parking lot was surprisingly, fortuitously, empty. Edward struggled up out of the driver's seat to stand in front of the slight young student. Do it now, a voice in his head said. He wondered what it was exactly, feeling the knowledge just beyond his mental grasp. Sorry. Claire said with a quick glance around. If she noticed that the world around them had emptied out, she didn't recognize the danger. Why were you not in class today? Are you sick? 
now, Edward. The voice was more insistent. Something about it made Edward think of someone holding a heavy door open. We all wrote our names down on this piece of paper for attendance. I I have it here. I I didn't really expect to uh, see you, I guess. The girl fumbled around, pulling a piece of loose-leaf paper out of her book that was creased and folded meticulously. The heavy door in Edward's mind was closing. That's very responsible of you, Edward said. The girl smiled, extending the paper to him. Now, the voice hissed in an urgent, demanding tone that made Edward's teeth hurt like he had gulped freezing water. Edward smiled at Claire, only just then realizing he had been holding a hefty claw hammer. It was the black-handled one from his junk drawer he had inherited from his permanently disappointed father and had used to hang pictures and, one time, fix the bathroom cabinet. The weight of it was nice in his hand. I love you, Edward said. It was true. He did. He felt terrible for what was about to happen. Claire's eyes went wide, and Edward couldn't be sure if she noticed the hammer or not. Either way, there was no time to waste. He brought the hammer down, hard, right between her eyes, which Edward saw for the first time had tiny flecks of hazel in with the green. They really were striking. Claire moaned and dropped to the concrete, the book flopping out of her limp arms. The paper sawed back and forth through the air toward the ground. As she collapsed, her head struck the ground hard enough to bounce. Her feet jumped and skittered on the pavement. Her mouth was moving, but she wasn't making words. There was a semicircular rip in her skin between her manicured eyebrows, just below her bangs. It was already bleeding badly. Edward brought the hammer down again, causing a loud pop underneath the dull thump as her pretty, wide eyes rolled back in her head. Her body was still. Edward scooped her up in his arms, easily managing her weight. He opened the back driver's side door and tossed the girl inside before slamming the door and inspecting the hammer. There was blood and skin stuck to the head. Edward licked it clean as he climbed in and started the car. The door in his mind shut, and around him... Life seemed to have restarted none the wiser. Edward pulled out of the parking lot and snapped on the radio. Static hissed at him like a cornered animal. In the back seat, Claire moaned. Her eyelids fluttered, but remained closed. Good, Edward thought. She's not dead yet. By the time he had gotten back to his apartment, Edward had given up on the radio. He was riding with the AC up and the windows down, humming a tune from his dream. 
As he pulled into his usual space, he noticed no one about, and the blinds on every window he could see were down and closed. Everything was going his way today. It was a cheery thought, and he grinned. Edward bounded up the metal and concrete stairs to his apartment, effortlessly buoyed by a boyish excitement he hadn't felt in years. He threw the door wide and carried Claire across the threshold in his arms, a groom and bride on their wedding night. Edward laid Claire on the couch and turned on the record player. It was running forward again. He sat down across from the prone form of the girl. De Vermis Mysterious began playing. Edward was shaking with excitement. Claire opened her eyes and screamed. Edward clamped a hand over her mouth. He needed her to be quiet. How was she supposed to hear the music if she wouldn't be quiet? By the time the record was finished and ready to be flipped, Claire was dead. Edward had strangled her as the hi-fi system drowned out her feeble pleas and promises. There was blood on his arms and face from her nails. They were both drenched in sweat. Just a little lover's spat, he thought, laughing under his breath. Edward stared down at the corpse. Claire was a thing now. A dirty, bloody thing that had scratched at him and screamed and very nearly ruined his listening experience. He reached down and touched the skin just below her chin, delicately this time. The flesh there was puffy and blackened from his thumbs. What a poor little thing. Why couldn't she have just been quiet? Edward flipped the record and stood over the prone form of the girl. He stroked her stomach, flat but soft and beginning to cool. Her skin was smooth as he bent and pressed his lips to hers. There was no movement. He knew there wouldn't be, but he had held out hope that somehow the record could give him that too. He kissed her again, but felt nothing. Disgusted, he rolled the body off the couch and took its place. He fell asleep listening to the scratch on the needle, heading for the blood-red label. Edward woke up in the bedroom. It wasn't his bedroom, or at least he didn't think it was. It must have been, though. There was a picture of his parents on the nightstand, and his degrees framed on the wall. But the room was much bigger than his apartment, and cleaner. The furniture wasn't new, per se, but it wasn't the hand-me-downs that had previously populated his place. The wood of the short nightstand and the long, low dresser was dark, almost black. The smell of someone making coffee and frying bacon drifted in through the open bedroom door. Edward swung his feet out of bed, feeling the carpet between his toes. The carpet was thick and cream-colored, 
like in a real house. It wasn't the stained industrial stuff he was used to in every apartment he had ever rented. Edward stood and stretched. He groaned. Baby? Came a woman's voice from somewhere across the house. It bounced around Edward's mind, struggling to connect to clear memory. Claire? But it couldn't be. She was dead. He knew that. Or was it all some sort of dream? Edward walked out of the bedroom and down a short hallway he similarly didn't recognize. There were paintings on the walls, abstract color studies. They weren't bad, but they weren't by an especially trained hand either. Did Claire paint? He didn't know. They had rarely talked about anything other than her grade or the lecture of the day. Did she do that first essay on Picasso? Maybe she did. Or perhaps that was the blonde girl who sat in the back. Claire came into view in the kitchen doorway, wearing his faded Melvin's shirt and a pair of pink bikini underwear that just barely peeked out from beyond the bottom hem of the shirt as she stretched up to open the spice cabinet. Edward froze in the doorway. The day before came rushing back to him, the hollow, wet thump of the hammer, the feel of the strained tendons of Claire's neck under his fingers, and the sound of the record playing as she gasped and gurgled and begged. She had begged. I'll do anything! She had cried. Anything but be quiet. Sorry, no extra credit this time, he thought, laughing silently. Good morning, Sleeping Beauty, Claire said as she turned and saw him. She smiled. It was a truly stunning expression. Edward smiled and sat down at the table. Claire came over with two plates piled high with scrambled eggs, thick-cut bacon, and a potato and onion hash. Edward ate heartily, smiling dumbly at Claire between bites. She smiled back. They didn't talk. It was rude to speak with a full mouth. She truly was a great cook. There was a flair to the food and precision that spoke of someone who took great pride in any form of expression. Edward loved her for it. As the food dwindled, Edward noticed that the silence in the room was almost complete. He couldn't hear the roaring, ocean-like surge of the interstate like he could at what he was now thinking of as the old place. Claire's fork scraped her plate, and Edward winced. He could hear her chewing, and it set his teeth on edge. He swallowed hard. Honey, he said, trying out the pet name for size. Claire didn't react, so he knew he called her that often here in this home. Did she live here? She certainly seemed to know where everything was. Do you think we could put on some music? It's a little quiet in here. Of course, baby. Claire replied with her big, shining smile. 
She hopped up and crossed the room, her hips swaying gently from side to side in a way that Edward had always appreciated as she left his stupid little class. The girl crossed to the hi-fi system, seemingly the only thing left over from the old apartment. She picked up the familiar faded record sleeve, De Vermis Mysterious, only it didn't look so faded. The cardboard was glossy and new-looking. Not that one, Edward said quickly. I thought you loved this one. Edward cocked his head. Maybe they listen to it all the time. You're right, honey. I guess I do. There was a moment of pregnant silence before the first note. The first blast of feedback and distortion came pouring through the speakers, filling the room like smoke. He grabbed the long, bladed knife that Claire had used to cut the vegetables. Edward reveled in it, breathed it in, and swallowed it. He hid it down by his side and crossed the room to stand behind the girl and smell her hair. It was lightly floral. There was a hint of husky vanilla coming from the nape of her neck. He leaned in, brushing her cheek with his lips as he thrust the blade in between the second and third ribs in her chest. Claire screamed and pushed away from the knife, which only drove her deeper into Edward's arms. He wrapped her up tightly, feeling the squirm of her surprisingly muscular body against him. She really was sexy. In a flash, he struck three more times. The initial resistance, followed by a sudden give, made his stomach feel like he was falling. Claire began to gurgle and sputter as blood filled her lungs. Two more strikes and it was over. He lay down on the big couch and listened to the record, drowsy and satisfied. The body crumpled in front of the record player didn't move. I love you, honey. Edward rolled to face the plush back of the couch. There were days whole weeks even, when he didn't kill her. He would live the life the record had given him, eating, drinking, and making love to Claire. Often they were married. Usually, although not always, they had met in class. Most of the time, he was fully tenured and lectured on music at the university. Claire called him Doc in those lives. Always, though, his inevitable bad luck would creep back in. He would show up to work drunk or try to seduce another student and get himself fired. If things went on too long at home, the tedium of everyday life would creep in. He and Claire would argue. He would forget chores. He would have to reset. One morning... After a night spent beating Claire to death with a heavy lamp, he woke up sore. It wasn't entirely unusual. 
He had often woken up with little scrapes and bruises from the day or night before still lingering into the new world. Claire wasn't in bed. That was fine. The one thing that seemed most consistent was that the girl was an early riser. He padded from a king-sized bed in what looked to be a professionally decorated room into the master bathroom. It was all white tile and shining brass fixtures. You've got a lot of scratch this time. It wouldn't be too bad to hang out here for a while. Edward stood over the toilet, popped his spine with his hands pressed to the small of his back, and took a piss. Passing a mirror, he noticed that his hair and beard were much more coiffed and trimmed than usual professionally styled in a precise way. His gut, which was always big, looked smaller. Edward patted it appreciatively. Perhaps he had found a life he wouldn't want to trade. Edward found his way into the living room. It was breathtaking. The room was decked out in black and white furniture, and accents that looked expensive in the modernist, subtle way that truly quality pieces often do. Professional oil paintings were hanging up on the walls. They had Claire's flair for color and bold brushstrokes. The paintings were much more studied and experienced, though. Time to perfect it, Edward thought. We must be so happy here. Honey? he called, looking around the room. There was no answer. His eyes swept the room, settling on the only thing out of place, Edward's old hi-fi system. Claire was sitting in front of it, with a large pair of headphones on and a record sleeve loosely tucked into her left hand. She was heavily pregnant but wore it with a glowing grace that Edward found awe-inspiring and erotic at the same time. She smiled widely at Edward and let the record sleeve drop to the floor. It was De Vermis Mysterious, a tattered old copy. His copy, Edward noted, had not looked like that in a long time. Edward's blood ran cold. There was no way of telling how long she had been listening. God damn it. Maybe he could escape. He didn't know the house. There was no apparent front door. She knew the house, though. She always did. She stared at him, her eyes flashing. The lives, the worlds... The murders. They were all right there in the depths of her knowing eyes. And they were deep. So deep they felt like the crushing depths of a dark ocean trench. There was no light there and no air. Sweat made its way down the back of his neck. He swatted at it. Claire, for her part, sat coiled a venomous beauty about her. Good morning, sleeping beauty, Claire said as she raised her right hand, 
leveling the revolver at his face. Honey, please, Edward pleaded, holding his palms up to her. Could he talk her out of it? She ever talk you out of it, fat boy? Where would he go? Would she wake up next to him in the kitchen making breakfast? Of course not, said a chuckling voice in Edward's head. There were only so many grooves in a record he knew. He looked across at the turntable as the needle finished off the first side. It scratched, skipping into the dead wax. Claire had not moved the revolver or taken off the headphones. The hair on her arm was standing on end. The last thing that passed through Edward's mind was how the morning sunlight made Claire's green and hazel-flecked eyes so goddamn pretty. They were so sharp and pretty, it hurt. Claire pulled the trigger. Edward wasn't even alive long enough to hear the report. A mist of blood and brain splattered against a canvas covered in bold swipes of yellows. The body fell back against the wall in a broken, useless heap. Claire stood, turned the record over, placed the needle into the first groove, and turned up the volume. She sat back down on the plush carpet, crossing her long legs and leaning back against the side of the record player. She sighed and rubbed her stomach, full of life and hope. She closed her eyes and dreamed of a better world. hope you enjoyed Dead Wax, as written by Blake Earl Ray and voiced by Eric Peabody. If you enjoyed Mr. Peabody's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chillin' Tales YouTube channel, where he holds the second place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of his work on his website at www.vikingguitar.com. If you check him out, be sure to give him a thumbs up and leave a kind word whenever possible, and tell him you heard him here on this program. It means a lot to us. To find more of award-winning author Blake Earl Ray, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash ray, spelled R-A-Y, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. Be sure to let him know you heard him here. You won't be sorry that you did. Now... Our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight, and to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going all the way back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, 
chillintalesfordarknights.com to show your support and get all our content ad-free. And while we're at it, why not stop by every Thursday night at 9 o'clock Central Standard Time for the True Blood Podcast, where I'll give you another dose of darkness. I'm your host, Drew Blood, and it's been a real pleasure. We're so very thankful for you. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.